God only wise. Let's stand. Father, we use great instruments and great hymns of the Christian faith to praise you in all your attributes, your uh, wisdom, your glorious holiness, your purity, your justice, your goodness and your grace and your mercy, of course, Lord. We have known who you are because you have made yourself known ultimately through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. To know Christ is to know the Father. Lord, we gather here to worship you on this early hour on the first day of the week. Receive our praise. Pour out your spirit upon us that we might have help in praising you and in understanding your word to us. And do all these things, Father, to make your name great in this place, in these days, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. This morning we'll be reading the book of Joshua. We'll just read the opening chapter of Joshua chapter 1 
I don't know if you've had this experience before. Have you ever been reading the scriptures and realize you thought wrongly about a character? Maybe because so many teachings and so many sermons were about the person in their latter years, not in the beginning. And you thought to yourself, ah, he's so untouchable. I never can gain or attain to that level of maturity. Maybe because we don't think about the beginning of the book of Joshua. It's safe, I can say, to be number two. All the mistakes that are made goes to someone else. I can just say, oh, well, he didn't teach me. I didn't learn it properly. See him. He's the problem. He's, look, he's been around for 30 plus years. He should know these things. Right? I can squeeze out of those things. But what if something happens to him? No more squeezing for me. All the responsibility is on my shoulders now. And now we see Joshua. No way am I comparing our pastor to Moses. But just imagine. Just imagine. Now you are in charge of all these rebellious people behind you. So, with that in mind, let's listen to what the Lord tells Joshua. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all these people, all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I will give to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to you, swore to their fathers to give you. He just told them to be strong. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. That's three times. Do not be frightened. Obviously, he must have been then. And do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 
And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and commanded the people, prepare your provisions for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving to you to possess. And the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the word that Moses, the, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives you rest, gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it. The land that Moses, how many times has he mentioned Moses? The land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your, your God be with you and he with, as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and, display, and dis disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only, what is the last words? Be strong and courageous. May God add blessings to the reading and the understanding of his word. Amen. It's always good to hear from God's word. If, uh, if you're wondering uh, why we've been having readings in worship from this place and then from that place and then from this place, uh, typically we'll read through a book or a sequence in scripture. I am just planning for the next uh, several weeks and months just to kind of cherry pick some important chapters across the whole Bible that perhaps we wouldn't otherwise get to. So um, next week won't be Joshua chapter two, but uh, so thank you, Brian. If you see in your program, we have a song of praise and we can just sing it straight from our program. Uh, it's also found in our hymnal. If you're someone who reads music and you don't know this and you need some help, you're welcome to look at that. One interesting aspect of this song of praise is that uh, if you sing parts, the men and the women during the chorus can, can each go their own way. And I've tried to represent that in the typing. Uh, but uh, we'll follow the piano and sing to the Lord together. Let's stand and sing of his wonderful grace. Wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin. How shall my tongue describe it? Where shall his praise begin? Taking away my burden, setting my spirit free for the wonderful grace of Jesus. Reach 
Wonderful the matchless grace of Jesus, deeper than the mighty rolling sea, higher than the mountain, sparkling like a fountain, all-sufficient grace for even me, broader than the scope of my transgressions, greater far than all my sin and shame, Oh, magnify the precious name of Jesus. Praise his name. Wonderful grace of Jesus, reaching to all the lost. By it I have been pardoned, saved to the utter. torn asunder, giving me liberty for the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me. Wonderful the matchless grace of Jesus, deeper than the mighty rolling sea. Higher than the mountain, sparkling like a fountain, all-sufficient grace for even me. Broader than the scope of my transgressions, than all my sin and shame. Oh, magnify the precious name of Jesus, praise His name. Wonderful grace of Jesus, reaching the most defiled. By its transforming power, making him God's dear child. Purchasing peace and heaven for all eternity. And the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me. Sing out. Wonderful the matchless grace of Jesus. And that all the see. Higher than the mountain, sparkling like a fountain. All sufficient grace for even me. Broader than the scope of my transgressions, greater far than all my sin and shame. Oh, magnify the precious name of Jesus. Praise his name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Actually, I'm ready to march around Jericho with Joshua. We'll march around seven times and watch, watch the walls fall. Uh, God's kingdom goes forward through his work, through his people, through his word. And uh, your joy in the saving power of Jesus is itself powerful. So maintain your witness, uh, continually worship him 
and let the Lord know, let the world know about your Lord Jesus Christ. Well, as we come to our time uh, in worship where we pray uh, on this Communion Sunday, the pastor's prayer will be followed by all of us joining in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, if you will be mindful of that and that transition. And as we pray, we typically use the terms uh, uh, debts and debtors, as you see in the program. A couple of uh, reminders that an email went out last night. There are a couple of new prayer requests. We want to pray uh, for uh, someone having uh, surgery this morning in the hospital due to a broken hip. We want to pray for extended family that... Uh, in another family where uh, someone uh, has had a mini stroke. And, and these things are important that we hold up one another in prayer. Let's bow before the Lord our God. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do sing as those who have something to celebrate, as those who have tasted of your grace and your mercy, whose sins have been forgiven. Even as David wrote in that ancient psalm, how blessed it is to have our sins forgiven, to have our sins covered, and to have no charge laid against the Lord's people. Father, we too thank you for the forgiveness of our sins through Jesus Christ. We praise his name. We marvel at his matchless grace. Father, this is our hope, not our own religion, but the righteousness of Christ, not our own strength, but his in conquering sin and death. Oh, Father, we thank you that you should look with favor upon us as we turn and cry out to you. Father, we thank you for fresh forgiveness each and every day. Whenever your people ask, that fountain of life is still cleansing us and you will complete what you've begun in us. We have that hope, that hope that uh, no one will snatch us out of the hands of our Savior, and he will deliver us into your presence. Father, knowing and loving Jesus is our greatest joy, but we also have many whom we know and love that do not yet know Christ. We pray for our unsaved loved ones, young and old, near and far, whether they be family or neighbor or co-worker. Father, we pray that their burdens might be lifted. We pray that their eyes might be opened. We pray that they might have the joy we have and help celebrate Jesus. Lord, we pray that even in this modern world when so many trust to uh, technology or their own personal health or wealth or wisdom, we pray that you lift the eyes of such folks to the Lord Jesus Christ, the only way to be right with you. Father, we pray not only for ourselves and our loved ones near and far, but we pray for the missionaries that take the gospel across cultural boundaries. We're thankful that the gospel traveled from the Holy Land to this continent. And we pray now for the gospel as it goes to the nation of Japan. We pray for our missionaries there, Steve and Jemmy, and, and their fellows that labor in the Christian school and in the local church and all their relationships, Father. Make them a lighthouse uh, so that the lost can come and find Jesus. 
We pray for that great nation, Lord, that you would see many Christians there and harness the resourcefulness of that people to reach others in their country and in their region. We pray for Steve and Jemmy as they finish a furlough, Lord, and and get back into the work to which you've called them. May they come with a fresh strength and, and zeal, and may you make it fruitful and bless them, we pray. Father, we also pray for the families of our church, particularly those with uh, uh, urgent needs. We think of a man named George who has surgery tomorrow on a broken hip. Father, be with George and his wife. Father, we pray, too, for uh, Jennifer's mother who had a mini-stroke, Lord. Bring healing and health to that family in Kentucky. We pray that as they gather, there would be support among the siblings And, Father, we would see your hand secure and heal uh, that mother. And, Father, others in our midst, we have our dear friend Ed, who's got an appointment at the Cleveland Clinic coming up. We pray that you make the way smooth for that procedure to take place. We thank you for such world-class facilities. And give peace to Ed and his wife as this date and this procedure approach. Give them traveling mercies as well. And Father, for those among us who have decisions to make or have other battles to wage, perhaps against physical ailments or against emotional challenges, loneliness, fears, temptations, Father, give your people help in the presence of affliction and difficulty. May we turn to you for wisdom and guidance. May we go forward, as it's said, on our knees prayerfully, looking for your solutions and your help. And Father, together we trust that you will answer our prayers as you answer every prayer according to your good and perfect will. Father, now we pray together in worship as Jesus taught the first disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. If you have a prayer request at any time during the week, we encourage you to let the church know. You can text or email or even call the pastor and we'll share that prayer request perhaps just among the elders or share it with everyone. So do keep us uh, informed. Thank you. And uh, this time we'll ask our ushers to come forward. They are uh, ready to wait upon us and help us uh, give our offerings to the Lord. It's also a good opportunity as we say to you to register your attendance. If you're visiting, there'll be a clipboard moving around. Find that, jot down your name, your email address, whatever we need, and we'll send you a letter of welcome. Let's pray for our offerings. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a generous God, freely giving uh, to us. And we pray that out of all you've given us, we would cheerfully and joyfully give of you, give to you the first fruits of what we have. Bless these gifts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Let's stand together and sing the doxology to the Lord. Take up our Bibles. I encourage you to open to the Gospel of Luke as we begin chapter 14. It's taken us about a year to get this far. We're just at the halfway mark of this long book, but we're taking a careful look at the person and work and ministry and teachings of Jesus, as we should, to do a, a careful consideration of this uh, delightful piece of inspired scriptures. You're turning to Luke 14. Let me again welcome those who might be watching our live stream or the recorded sermon later on. May God's word bless you and uh, bring you closer to him. Uh, We do encourage you to come and visit with us here at the church any Sunday. Our reading is the first 11 verses of the gospel of Luke chapter 14. One Sabbath, when he, Jesus, went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told the parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, Do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. May the Lord bless the reading, hearing, believing, and obeying of his holy word. Amen. Amen. Today's sermon is entitled Dining with Jesus, and it's just part one 
because this whole chapter, this episode shows four little cameos of Jesus interacting at the dinner. So we've divided them in two and Lord willing, we'll take up the next couple of cameos in next week's sermon. But have you thought of that? What would it be like to invite Jesus to dinner? There are some dinner guests where perhaps uh, you really anticipate the conversation. Could it be anything less having invited Jesus? Perhaps we need to think of it in these terms. Think of an Old Testament prophet. Think of, let's say, Isaiah. Invite Isaiah. Hey, Isaiah, after service, you want to come home for lunch, our big dinner? What would you expect from a prophet? And we do well to remember what the prophets of old said when they were amongst God's people. Isaiah, right away in chapter 1, he uh, issued God's complaint against the people. And then he also said, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. The prophet speaks the truth that pierces you and exposes your need, uh uh-oh, and then also calls you to be right with that same God. Isaiah chapter 1 does not mince words. The gloves are off as the prophet challenged God's people. You're going through the motions. Here's one sample of what Isaiah said in chapter 1. When you come to appear before me, he's speaking for the Lord, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Come now. Let us reason together. God sees through mere religion. You think he doesn't? So what do we expect when some Pharisees who've been trying to entrap Jesus, they've been kind of uh, doing a, a boxer's dance around Jesus for many, many weeks. And as he travels, he stops at a synagogue, there's worship, It's common for a teacher or a special guest to be invited uh, by the ruler, by the lead of the synagogue to the meal, the big meal of the week for the Jews. But what were they expecting? Jesus is present, and we'll talk about how they were setting a trap for him. But you know what? Jesus is there, and he smokes out who they really are. I don't know if you're familiar with that expression. One of my little hobbies is to run down expressions. Where do these idioms come from? You've heard that smoke out something. It means to uh, perhaps use fire and smoke to cause, let's say, an animal to evacuate your basement or uh, a cave to smoke something out. You know, the groundskeeper gets rid of gophers that way. Jesus, by his words and his actions, he smokes out these religious leaders and exposes them for what they are. And we should expect nothing less. The one who came speaking the truth, speaking the words of the Father to those who would hear brings truth that pierces, but also truth that says, come now, let us reason together. There is forgiveness for all those sins. So let's listen to Jesus this morning as he um, smokes out the truth in this setting. 
First, we see Jesus uh, speaking on legalistic hypocrisy. Legalistic hypocrisy, that sounds like a mouthful, but I had to give a label to this first healing because he uses it to, as I said, to uh, unmask his hosts. And then as we continue, we'll see how Jesus uh, unmasks their selfish ambition. And then we'll talk about the eternal perspective on all these things. So let's think about this. Let's first go back to the the setting. Jesus has been invited. That's how the chapter begins. It's a Sabbath day. So after the service, there's this typically big dinner. And I know growing up in my home, Sunday noon wasn't called lunch because it was a lot more than SpaghettiOs. It was called dinner. Sunday dinner, and, and I don't know if that Midwestern or different regions call the noon meal dinner, but you know when it's a big deal, uh, it's an important meal. Jesus is invited, typical of the Jews to do that, and it's typical of Jesus to accept invitations. More than one Pharisee has invited Jesus, and he's showed up. But there's a trap set here. What is the trap that I'm speaking about Notice how we go. Um, When he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, this is no typical person, they were watching him carefully. And why were they watching him? Because there was a man, there just happened to be a man there who had a serious illness. And they said to him, brother, you stand right here and just wait there till Jesus comes in. They use this man who is ill and suffering as a pawn in their trap with Jesus. Because if he started healing on the Sabbath, they would pounce upon him and denounce him. This ill man is described as having dropsy um, uh, uh, and edema. This is a medical type of term, even in the ancient world. It's, it's, it's very specifically a medical term. We're not surprised that Dr. Luke uses it for swelling. Sometimes you see it in the lower legs for someone who might have congestive heart failure. Bodily fluids accumulate inside and the legs swell or in the abdomen. And that swelling alone is simply a symptom of something more serious happening on the inside. It may look like, oh, you just need to put your feet up. No, there's something serious going on inside. So they bring this man. Uh, He's not even named. And they put him there as a trap. He is, as uh, David Jeffrey says, he's a pawn. A silent, symbolic provocation to debate. They were watching him. Here he comes. But... As Jesus comes in, behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy, and Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees. Well, wait, what did they say? It says Jesus responded. I take the the writing of Luke to say Jesus stopped, assessed the situation, and said, okay, I see what's going on. That's his response. He discerns and he calls them out. Okay, time out. I see what you're doing with this poor man. 
And he asked them a question. There's this reversal of roles with Jesus that is very common in his ministry, isn't it? Someone will come and ask him a question and he'll say, well, you answer me this. We should always note who's in charge. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not just some rabbi who got in over his head. He's the son of God. He's come with authority, with the father's blessing. And he is indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God who is not hindered by any inborn sin. This sinless one filled with the Spirit of God was someone very special. And so there's this great reversal. He asks this question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Is it lawful? What does Jesus mean by that? He's not talking about the Roman regulations. The Roman occupiers of the area had a lot of laws. He's talking about the law of God. Delivered to Moses on Mount Sinai. Can you, brothers, show me in the Ten Commandments where this is addressed? No. How about the other 613 or the total 613 some commandments and precepts of the Torah? Is there even one that prohibits helping this man? Is it lawful? We didn't know there was going to be a quiz today. No, they knew. They were trying to entrap him, and they were ready to denounce him. And this isn't the first time the Sabbath issue has come up, but it is the last. It's pretty definitive. So Jesus calls them out. They were adhering to their own man-made traditions. Their traditions said you don't do this. Their tradition said, and you don't do that and that. And you could only really help someone if their life is in eminent peril. They had all these little rules. But it wasn't in the law of God. So Jesus says, enough. Is it lawful? He doesn't just say, what do you think? What would be your practice? He goes to the word of God. What's clear? And it is so common that when we interact with those who know the Bible... Many of them have their own understandings of the Bible that go beyond the Bible. There was a day in which if you were a woman and showed up at church in a particular region of our country wearing pants, oh, we've got a sinner among us. We experienced that once. We went to a church in Kentucky 30-some years ago, and all the heads are turning looking at my wife. You see, when we elevate our own traditions and applications of God's word to the level of God's word, we're just like these Pharisees. And we can fall into a legalism. What is legalism? Legalism isn't doing what's right and wrong in honor of the Lord. We should all be obeying the Ten Commandments. You had better be obedient children of God. But legalism is saying you're not a Christian unless you obey the laws as I undersee them, as I see them and understand them. So these are legalists, and Jesus will get to their hypocrisy. So he asks about the law. They couldn't answer. If they answered, they'd, they'd have to reveal either their heartlessness or their hypocrisy. So what does Jesus do? He quickly embraces and heals the man. Uh, I'm not one who translates the Bible, but this word took uh, uh, in verse 4 uh, is, falls a little short of the word embrace. Um, 
which I think would be a better translation, that Jesus took. He embraced and healed this man. He, he didn't uh, uh, do anything uh, artificial. He, he treated this man as a human being. Jesus once even touched the lepers to heal them. Compassion in action. He took him and healed him and sent him away. So after he was healed, Jesus took the pawn off the board. Brother, you can go home. They're just using you here. Go home. Jesus' compassion for this man. This reversal of role. Jesus treating him uh, not as an uh, object for argument, but as a human being. Kind of interesting how Jesus is always a model for us of how we should treat one another. But he's not done with the hypocrites. (laughs) He has a follow-up question. They're still sitting there and perhaps they're not happy because he did heal on the Sabbath and their traditions were upset. So Jesus continues to speak in verse 5. Let's take a look. And he said to them, and this is addressed to the whole room perhaps, uh, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? Jesus gives this word picture. Picture this, your son or or even just your animal. And there's a translation issue whether the word is son or another word for uh, an animal. It's the best decision is it's son, um, as I studied it. What would you do, Jesus says? And they're thinking, okay, we have our rules. Could we do something? Could we not? If it's your own son, if it's, if it's, if it's a major beast that, that's in a place of peril, of course you're going to rescue it. Of course you would, is the answer. By doing this, uh, Douglas Milne says, Jesus exposes the inconsistency of the Pharisees by sharing that they practiced one thing but demanded something else of others. They wouldn't let Jesus heal because of their interpretation, but they would sure help if it was one of their children or their animals. They're silent here again in verse 6. They could not reply to these things. Their silence, says one commentator, it mocks the pretense of honest debate. Jesus has called them out. Spoken truth to them, asked them questions, and they're not there to learn. They're not there to put forward their thinking and to have it examined by the teacher. They're silent. Their agenda isn't pursuing understanding, but rather just living according to their understanding. And they misunderstood the Sabbath. As J.C. Ryle tells us very plainly, quoting Jesus, the Sabbath was made for man. And Ryle goes on to say it was made for man's benefit, not his injury, for his advantage, not his hurt. It's a gift to the created world. On the seventh day you shall cease from your labors and rest. You can worship. It does not prohibit doing acts of piety or mercy or necessity. Don't misunderstand this gift of God. And don't create for yourself a religion that allows you to mistreat other human beings. It's interesting, Dale Ralph Davis is a commentator that I dearly love, and and he saw this story in the upcoming story, 
And he puts them under this heading. He said the first story, which I've called exposing their hypocrisy, he says, Jesus is asking, can't you see your bondage? Well, title got me curious. What does he mean by bondage in this healing? He, he meant their bondage to their man-made traditions. Bondage, enslaved to those man-made traditions so that they could not practice true piety. That's what happens to those caught up in their legalism. They're so focused on their system, they fall short of what God truly requires of us. And they're in bondage. And this next episode that we're going to look at next, uh, Dale Davis says, uh, can't you see your pride? Pride is, is what's fingered in this next one. Or as I say, Jesus calls out their selfish ambition. Again, it's the same setting as people are coming in. Jesus dealt with the issue at the door and healed that brother and, and let that just stand. And as he sees everyone kind of going to their seats at the table, he notice, notices this social jockeying for position. People kind of edging their way closer and closer to the host, just kind of talking to him so when dinner's announced, they can sit down near him. Or someone else kind of, trying to move past someone to get closer to where it's best to sit. And we have to remember how the, the dinners worked back then. They would recline at low tables. They would lean on their left elbow up to the table and their body would stretch out this way and they'd have their right hand typically free for eating or gesturing. And the host would sit at the center typically of tables arranged in a U-shape so the servers could come up on one side of the table and the people were on the other, probably three or four to a table or sometimes the King James called it a couch, cushions. Uh, the host would be at the center and there'd be this arrangement. And to sit to the left of the host meant that you were a little bit behind his back, but you were pretty close to him. The place of honor was on the right. And if you reclined on the right, you could interact a bit more. And well, even at the Last Supper, there'd be the, the young disciple John who, who would recline against the Lord Jesus. It's a wonderful place of honor and, and intimacy in this setting. But Jesus was watching everybody try to find uh, the best chair closest to the host. And he knew these guys. And Jesus was there not just for a free meal. He was there to do some ministry to help them to help them see what they need to see about themselves. And so he speaks to his observations. Let's pick up the text in verse 7. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. So Jesus had been noticing. He hadn't sat down yet, likely. He was probably waiting himself for someone to tell him where to sit because he's a model of humility. He'd been watching, but he said, he said this parable. And why did, he chose, why did he choose a parable? And why does he say a wedding feast? Why doesn't he say a Sabbath meal? Well, the, the reference to wedding feast is, is so that he's not punching his host straight in the face. Jesus is, doesn't have to be uh, personally rude to his host. But he makes it clear that when you're at a big deal of a meal such as a wedding feast. That's something special. I've been to some, they're all pretty special. But it's a category that includes this meal. So here's the parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, 
Do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lower place. You know, things haven't changed. And back then as today, some people think it's important to show up fashionably late. You've heard that term? Fashionably late. Late is late. And I know some of us work on that. Fashionably late. When you're important. The important people arrive last. You ever see a presidential event? They've all been searched and go through the magnetometers and the secret service are all in place. Sometimes the people are sitting in that auditorium for like an hour. And then the motorcade shows up. And who shows up last? The most important person. You can picture such an event. And Jesus is giving some uh, instruction and admonition. He says, if you're, if, think of this parable and think of this event. If you sit further up than you deserve, it's possible one of those more important people is going to bump you. And then where are you going to find a seat? Well, number two and number three are taken. You're going to be going all the way to the end of the line. Right? Pretty clear teaching. Where does Jesus get stuff like this? He is just so smart. Well, you know what? Uh, I think he's expositing uh, in this part, uh, Proverbs 25. Maybe he had uh, read that chapter. Proverbs 25, 6 and 7. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to look. Yes, Jesus was the Son of God filled with the Holy Spirit. He had understanding beyond us. But he also had been raised in the Scriptures and And if he had learned God's word, he would understand Proverbs 25, verses 6 and 7. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great. For it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. Jesus knew the scriptures. (laughs) My friends, knowing the scriptures will help us. Avoid shameful corrections. Will give us guidance and help us understand the importance of humility. Oh, that we would read all the scriptures, especially uh, Proverbs and all its wisdom. Let's not leave it behind. So Jesus is aware of that. He applies it here. Because he had seen people pursuing ambition for the place of honor or fame. And he knew that they were deceiving themselves. Isn't it common that we think more highly of ourselves than we ought? Oh, yeah, I'll just stand up there near the most important person. It had been many, many years since I'd seen my old friend, Joel Beakey, in person. This is a while ago. Um, Joel and I had spent uh, a couple of events every year. We'd see each other. We'd play basketball together, do a lot of things. He's a famous guy, if you don't know who I'm talking about. He's famous in certain circles. And so most recently, I can't remember the exact setting, I come up and say, hello, Joel. And he looks at me, and then he looks down at my name tag and says, oh, yes, hello, David. Very humbling moment. (laughs) That friendship from the early 90s? Okay, the 90s, that's a quarter of a decade, a quarter of a century ago. And this famous person, he knows so many people, and everybody thinks they know the famous person. It was, a, it was a brief check, and I, you know, I wasn't put off at all. 
I look at a lot of name tags too when I go to meetings. Jesus is saying something here that goes beyond manners. We'll get to that in just a moment. There is a warning here just about being self-centered. Yes, it's bad manners and it's not good for you. It's not good for your soul. It's not good for your neighbors. Kent Hughes says, selfishness always reduces the importance of others and enlarges the importance of one's self. Selfishness will distort your relationships. It will not help you obey the second greatest commandments, to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, if I love myself the most, I can't love my neighbor. Things are out of whack. You're not doing what God calls you to do when you're selfish, when you're ambitious, when you're motivated by pride. Oh, everybody's going to see me sitting next to the host. So Jesus gives a very plain and direct word to the wise. He says, take the lowest place. Um, He says that at the end of verse uh, 10. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Jesus is just saying, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Err on the side of caution. Now, believe it or not, there are some commentators that take up the argument. Isn't Jesus kind of using reverse psychology and appealing to our selfishness? Oh, oh, I know it. If I sit way in the back, they'll have to come and pamper me. No. Uh, Some people just have too much time on their hands to read such theories into the teachings of Jesus. It's face value. You understand it. I understand it. Jesus is saying, don't put yourself forward. Practice humility. That's what's going on here. It's a word to the wise. But there's something more than just bad manners at work here. Phil Riken begins to point us in the right direction. Dr. Riken says, their spiritual problem went much deeper than simply having bad manners. They were enslaved to their selfish ambitions. What mattered most to them was their public reputation, not their private personal godliness. This is why they were so legalistic. They were all about the external obedience and the sense of pride that goes with it. They were focused on the wrong thing, their own righteousness. And no one comes to the Father by your own righteousness. There is none righteous, no, not one. Romans chapter 3 makes that pretty clear. If you've never read Romans chapter 3, Turn on a light because it's a little scary. It tells the truth about sin. The wages of sin are death. No one is righteous. No, not one. Except the Lord Jesus Christ. The law was given to convict us of our sin and to show us our law-keeping Savior, the sinless one. So let's move on to see why this is so important. Why was Jesus pointing out uh, their, their social jockeying and this manner thing? Because of that deeper problem. Indeed, Jesus probably has an eye, as I say in my third heading, toward the final judgment. Jesus has an eye towards the final 
judgment. At the final judgment, the exalted ones, or shall we say the self-exalted ones, will be humbled. And those who are humble will be exalted. That's what Jesus says. Verse 11, isn't it clear? For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's a truism, but I put to you, it's also part of Jesus' teaching about the end times. There will come a time when this will be enacted by God. We have hints of it in Philippians 2. Jesus, who humbled himself, will at the last day be exalted, and every knee will bow and every tongue confess. But we also know from other places, such as uh, Peter's writing about humility. We looked at that on Sunday night. We've been going through 1 Peter and we finish up tonight. 1 Peter chapter 5, he writes this. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. 1 Peter 5. Jesus is trying to teach them at this dinner party not to put yourselves forward, not to trust in your own righteousness, but to be humble and depend upon the grace of your host. Because when you are called before Almighty Jehovah, before the wedding banquet that will take place in eternity, and you're at the door, the invited guests who are humble and trusting in Jesus will be welcomed. But those who oppose Jesus and trust in their self-righteousness, they will be put down. This is a foretaste of the final judgment. And if you think you've got what it's take to put yourself in at the table, you're wrong. You need someone else's righteousness. The exalted will be humbled at the last day. Isn't that what we're taught time and time again? People will stand there in front of Jesus. Hey, but I know you. Jesus said, I don't know you. Hey, we did a lot of cool things. I don't know you. You can boast and wave your resume at the pearly gates. But it will be to no avail. That's what Jesus is trying to get through to that audience. In the home of that Pharisee. Those who knew the laws of God but preferred the laws of men which they had mastered. What is the greatest commandment? To love God. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And these men appeared to be failing on both counts. That's what Jesus is doing in their home at that dinner. And it's just getting started. The exalted will be humbled. David Garland, a, a, a great uh, theologian, uh, I think he's in Philadelphia, said, if self-admiration and exaltation can lead to disastrous consequences in so human social settings, it will lead to even more disastrous results in the final judgment. That's what Jesus is trying to get them to see. 
Jesus is an amazing teacher. Just, just on a sidebar, this comes to mind, just on a sidebar, Jesus washes the feet of the disciples in the upper room. He's, he's trying to get them to see that he loves them. He will lay down his life for them. So he, he lays down his, his, any honor and takes the form of a servant and washes their feet. And Peter has a problem with that. And Jesus says, no, it has to be this way. If you have a problem with me washing your feet, what are you going to do when you see me bleeding on the cross for your sins? Christ is trying to help each one he meets see beyond their pride and their understanding, see according to the truth. His disciples he taught, and these hard-hearted Pharisees, Jesus, he tries one more time. I'm here to do the Father's will. Is it lawful or not? Come on, guys, you should know. Watch this. He heals him. And he's still no reaction. He sees what they're really focused on, their social honors, their jockeying for position. He says, guys, you are not pursuing the right things. The exalted will be humbled. And good news for the genuine believer, the humble will be exalted. I, I love what Phil Riken says. I think he had just read Peter on being humbled. In due time, you'll be exalted. He says, what better time to be exalted than at the final judgment. If you want God's blessing and favor, what better time when you're about to stand in front of the bench of God's justice to have Jesus say, oh, he's with me. I don't even need to look at a name tag. You're with me. Come on. Those who humbly trust in Christ will have that welcome. Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, upon you. To come to Christ is to have a Savior and a friend. And at that great day of judgment, when the sins of all are made bare, every secret thought, every word and deed, God knows it all. It's not your righteousness that matters, it's his. The humble will be exalted. The true way, the way to true exaltation is humility. Humble trust in another. I finally caught on back in 1978. Son of a preacher, owned a Bible, thought I was a smart guy. My friend had become a Christian and here I am seeing my own sin again and again and again and sitting in my bedroom in the middle of the night saying, I can't do this. I know I can't be righteous enough. God, you're going to have to save me. I'd come to the end of myself. And in humble repentance, grasped at Christ. It's as if God said, Dave, you never have a chance. You can't keep the law. And if you did from now on, what about those past sins? You need a savior. You need the righteousness of someone else. Pursuing humility is nothing other than walking by faith in another. Taking the hand of Jesus and he leads you and guides you. Faith is not a leap in the dark. Faith is putting your hand in the hand of Jesus Christ, believing his gospel, trusting his word, his promises, and his work 
that he will save and cleanse you. The God of grace saves all who trust in Christ. If any of us are welcomed into heaven, it's not because of who you are. It's because of Jesus. That's grace. Let me ask, are you striving to be exalted now or are you going to wait and entrust yourselves to the Lord? That's what would please Jesus. Let me just say a couple more things in closing here. I think it's important because Jesus uses it and brings it up so many times, the Sabbath and how to use that day and how to view people in their need, those who are ill and need healing. We, we need to know the righteous purposes of the Lord. We don't need to know all the man-made traditions and definitions. We need to know who God is and what pleases him. Doesn't the prophet Micah make that pretty clear? Micah 6, 8, many of you have it memorized. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. That's what Jesus is asking these men to do. Those who knew the law were ignoring it so they could say, I didn't heal on the Sabbath. I didn't do any work on the Sabbath. That was their fixation. They missed the purposes of God in all of it. Do we know God's purposes? And why does he give us the Sabbath? Not to generate our own sense of self-righteousness. Why does he give us other rules? Not to keep us from loving those in need. Know God's purposes. Secondly, make humility your lifestyle. When Peter was saying God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble, do you remember the word he chose, the verb he said? He just didn't say be humble. He said, clothe yourselves in humility. Clothe yourselves. You know, I, I know how to tie a necktie, single wins or not right here. I clothed myself for church, picked out an outfit trying to look appropriate as I thought I, I should? Do we even take that kind of care with the things that matter? Clothe yourselves with humility. It's as though the Bible says, Christian, you, you flaunt yourself and pursue pride. You are ill-dressed and you don't look good in public. You need to clothe yourselves with humility. And so I put it in our language, make it a lifestyle. Make it part of everyday life. And finally, as I've said, trust the gospel of Jesus Christ. The humble hope in the words of Christ. Be one who is humble and trusting in Christ. He will save all who repent and believe and come to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Gospel of Luke. What a, an amazing portion of your holy word. How it illumines to us the truth of Proverbs 25. How the teachings of Jesus even pierce hearts and minds today. Father, I pray that uh, making these things clear to my friends here, that this will be useful that no one here is trusting in their own righteousness. No one here is focusing on their ambitions. 
but rather will humbly trust in Christ and follow him and love our neighbors as ourselves with the strength you supply. Father, work in us all these things for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.